Pretty Mental is about accepting our full selves and inspiring others to do the same by being daringly unfiltered. This means completely normalizing all things mental health and the wild journey that has brought us here. We are challenging the stigmatization of normal human suffering, and we are done pretending and subscribing to the notion that it is taboo to have challenging mental health experiences. Welcome to the Pretty Mental Health Club, and enjoy the show. Hey, Valentina. Hey, Paula. And hello, everybody. And welcome to another episode of Pretty Mental. This week, we sat down with one of our all-time favorite yoga teachers, TJ Mangram, whose fiercely present and spiritual approach to teaching yoga keeps us running back to her classes any chance that we get. In this conversation, we dissected why it's so important to take a deep look at all of our triggers. We also talked about conscious parenting, embracing neurodiversity, and the ways in which yoga practice can be used as a tool to witness our egos and to expand our consciousness. So allow yourself to get comfortable wherever you are, relax, and press play. TJ, welcome to Pretty Mental. Thanks for having me on. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks for this delicious breakfast you made us. That we have not yet eaten. We have not yet eaten. But it smells really good. But we feel so welcome. Good. You are welcome. So Paul and I have just a little bit of background, which we probably will already give in the intro, but we've both taken your classes and they've made such an impact on us, which is why we're here today because... I remember the first yoga class I ever took with you, you, I just walked out and I was like, what was that? It was the most spiritual experience for me. Are you going to cry? I might. <laughs> I'm trying. That's the other thing I love about TJ is how, uh-huh. how authentic you are in uh-huh. all of your classes. Uh-huh. And I think that's why, and I know that's why for you and I, the experience of... We're just, we're like, yes, this is so raw. <laughs> well, you just speak directly to our spirits because you our bring your spirit out. Yeah, I, I hear a lot that my vulnerability in class is appreciated. And it's, I don't really feel like I'm coming to the table with vulnerability. I just, I'm not really embarrassed by a lot of my stuff. I'm not scared of my stuff. I had a really great therapist who kept reminding me this is not a you thing all the time. And it helped me just be very comfortable with uh, my darkness and my weirdness. And and I also noticed that the more I talked about it, the more it helped. And people would come and say, oh, I'd, I'm going through this too. Or I have this version of this same thing that you've been talking about. And it, and it helped me realize that it's just important. It's mm-hmm. It's not necessarily that I'm bringing vulnerability to the table. I'm, I'm just offering myself, and it's not without shame, and not without hiding. I'm not. I don't feel like I'm hiding behind anything. There's some things I don't talk about when it's something that I haven't maybe integrated or dealt with or become comfortable with. But everything I share, I'm, I'm not afraid to share it because it's not a. 
I don't want to, I don't want to hide behind anything. Can you, I'm so curious about your therapist saying that it's not a you thing. That. Uh, so I don't do anything half-assed. Like it's, I don't, I don't, it's, it's, it's been an all or nothing thing for me my whole life. And so I found a therapist it, at the time when it first started. This is a, it's a new type of therapy. Um, and I would do it over Skype. She was a woman in, in Colorado and it was the most intense situation. Like it felt like, it felt like 10 sessions of talk therapy in one therapy session. We would get to the nitty gritty, like the seed trigger of a lot of my stuff. And I would go through different, different topics and it would, I would, I would have resistance to wanting to know, to getting into the subconscious and releasing this, what's, what's behind the trigger, what's behind mm-hmm. the, the agitation, the reaction. And as I'm going through it, as I'm heated, like I would want to like, like, I would want to throw my computer screen. I'd want to throw my pen. I would get so in I'm closing on that. Right, I'm done. And she would say, she would always remind me, this is not a you thing. And every and every time she would say that, it's like, oh, okay, I have I have I have permission because I'm not alone in this. Okay, so it's it's a humanity thing. Right, right. It's not a me thing to to not like myself. It's mm-hmm. not a me thing to keep myself small so that someone else can be a father figure to me. It's not a me thing to 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 have these behavior patterns. It's not a me thing to have these coping mechanisms. This is part of being human. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's interesting that you bring that up because literally yesterday I was talking to my brother and like self-love has been a big part of my journey. Like, are we all going to cry on this podcast? <laughs> <laughs> and he's doing some healing work right now around multi-generational trauma. And I don't know what, but like the past two days have been just so energetically releasing, I think after the new moon, I don't like, I, I asked for to level up in love and mm-hmm. <laughs> like the universe is like, okay, here you go. And the past two days have just been like, what is happening? And I just had these, I did a meditation yesterday and I had these visions at the end of like every younger version of me coming up to me and me just being like any thought, I guess you could say, what does Shaman Durek call it? Like messed up data or whatever. Any mm-hmm. thought that just tells me that it's hard, like I'm a hard person to love, right? Like that's not mine. That yeah. is not mine. And I literally sat there and I was just saying over and over again, like this is not mine. This was never mine. Like take it. I do not want it. It is no longer mine. And that's just what came up for me as soon as you said that, because it really, we've all kind of inherited this, these default systems Mm -hmm. and trauma from generation to generation, right? Because kids are so lovable. (sighs) Like they're so lovable. So anytime that, and when we experience like an absence of love in our childhood, because we don't know how to make sense of it, the first thing we do is integrate it as, oh, there's something wrong with me. When in reality, it was, oh, no, that adult never came to terms with the, their own lack of self-love. 
right? Like this was never yours. Yeah. Uh, one of my spiritual teachers talks about um, it being an adjusting to someone else's ego structure. So all those things that you've collected in your childhood were attempts to not agitate someone else's triggers, to, to adjust around someone else's ego structure instead of them seeing themselves and allowing you to be you. And in order to think, I mean, for me, because I have the same, or I don't want to say the same, that's not fair, but I have also a seed fear of that I'm not lovable. Mm-hmm. And again, it's not, it's not mine. It's mm-hmm. not mine. Of course I am. Just existing is, means I'm lovable. You know, just being a human means I'm lovable. It's not, I don't have to do it. I could do nothing ever. And it means I'm lovable, but someone along the road when I was very young told me I had to earn love or someone along the road when I was very young told me I had to do, I had to be a good little girl. Someone along the road told me I had to be still and not move. And those are things that are, when we're young, they, they become a part of our script and it's hard to unlearn those things. It's hard to unlearn those things, especially because our society continues to perpetuate that, right? That we have to do things and be things and achieve things in order to be loved. So it just, the tree of of not self-love keeps growing. It takes so much consciousness. So much. And like you were saying, generationally, like your parents or whomever, whomever, your whomever had to adjust to their whomever and their whomever had to adjust to their whomever. So it's, it has to be, I think that's one of the reasons I talk so much about habit and changing conscious choice and pulling from uh, Red Hawk, who's uh, a writer. Um, he was, he f- learned his version of reality through self-study and self-observation. And he talks so much about mammalian habits. And a lot of what we are is given to us even by our DNA, by our genetics, these, one, <sighs> One thing that I've noticed about myself with my children is that I try to turn them into the child I was supposed to be, Mm. who my parents would have been proud of, and I have to catch myself. Just the other day, my son has ADHD, and he is amazing. He's so sweet, and he's he finds out that something's not good for the environment. He doesn't want to do it anymore, or like he doesn't really like to eat meat. I mean, he's just this sweet little guy. And, but he has this tendency of, <laughs> if I give him, if we go get ice cream, he has a tendency of being like, oh man, wouldn't it be cool if we got this kind of ice cream with this kind of topping? Like he always one-ups me, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I try to, I'll try to do something great and then he one-ups me. And I'm like, well, crap, like I guess... I'll do better next time kind of thing. (laughs) And I talked to him about it and not the nicest way. I was in a reaction. I was in a trigger and I was talking to him about, you know, you always, I, 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 I want, I wish I, I feel like a failure sometime. And I know that's not a you thing, but I wasn't, I wasn't speaking to him in the way that I should have. And I have regret and I actually want to sit him down and talk to him and say what, what I should have done. What the, so I, the, the, my tendency or my follow through with telling him that I, and reacting through my trigger and getting on to him about how I feel like I'm not 
doing good enough by him or giving him the greatest experience because it's not about me. Like, obviously, that's something that I need to work on. And I put my my self-work, not wanting to do it, not wanting to see it, reacting through my trigger. I put that on him by getting upset with him for not being happy with what I've given him. When I, if I really sat down and I got still, my appropriate interaction with him should have been, or I wish it had been, or no, I don't even wish it had been because I learned a lesson, but now my step going forward, how about that, Mm -hmm. uh, is uh, the appropriate action will be to say, what are you thankful for? Let's take, if that's, if that's how you're feeling, you wish this could be something else. You wish you could have this topping on, on your ice cream instead of just ice cream. What about if we change and we shift and we think about what we're thankful for in this moment? Mm-hmm. And that's going to make me feel better. That's going to make you feel better. You're going to learn how to find gratitude in your moments. And you're not going to be twisted around my ego structure, which is something I need to deal with on my own. Mm-hmm. That's something that we've been talking about lately. And, you know, I'm a heavy believer of whenever we react to something, we might want to change what's happening in front of us or the person that's happening, that's doing the thing. Mm -hmm. But I just, I know this to be true in my, the nucleus of my cells that whatever, whenever we are triggered, that is, that is something we need to look at. Like why, what are we so scared of? Like, what is the, why is fear coming up? How can we, how can we get, look deeper into this and let it reveal something about ourselves? Yeah, and this is kind of a petty example of that, but <clears throat> Valentina came over to my apartment one day, <laughs> and it was messy because I just had been so busy that week and I hadn't cleaned it. And I genuinely, I take pride in creating sacred spaces that just feel good. Uh, so there was some shame in the fact that my apartment was dirty, but I didn't want to admit that to myself. So the Valentina came in and she was like, your apartment is dirty. <laughs> I'm also a person who I am very, very unfiltered. Very. Like I honestly don't really know how to be filtered yeah. sometimes. It's not in my DNA. My DNA. Um, I tend to be a little more diplomatic. So, But we learn from each other, you know? And so she came in and she was, and she was like, your apartment is dirty, like, and she's like, you let your friend come over with it like this? And I'm just like, I got so triggered, and I was so mad at her, like, how dare you say my apartment is dirty? And then afterwards, I was like, wow, like, I mean, my apartment is dirty. (laughs) And I was ashamed of that, but I didn't want to admit that I was ashamed of that, because maybe we have to do something about it when we actually look at these things, or we're afraid to look at them, so then we project it onto the other person. She wasn't saying anything that wasn't true. If I was, if I had been honest about it to myself, and this is just such a petty example, but I feel like you can pretty much relate this to anything. If I had been willing to be honest with myself about the fact that my apartment was dirty and that I prefer for my apartment to be clean, and that's okay, sometimes it's gonna be dirty, then she can say that to me and I'd be like, yeah, you're right. Right. If you were neutral about it, then it wouldn't have meant anything. It was the fact that you weren't neutral. Is and lying to myself about it, in a way. I don't think that ego is a, a bad thing, but it can be a bad thing when you hold on to it so strongly and aren't able to 
see the people in front of you clearly because you're filtering everything through your ego, right? Not you, but everyone. Yeah, what are you saying? <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> so I'm kidding. <laughs> for like in that example specifically, I was was making a, a true observation. It was not with any judgment. And with and you know, I said, because I know you love having people over when your place is clean. So I was like, oh, and you let him come. Like, I was surprised. I was like, you let him come over? I was genuinely like, that's cool, you know? Like, yeah. so you, you caring less, but in a, not in any judgmental I know. way. I was judging myself. Right, so then, so then what happened yeah. was you forgot that I'm your sister and I love you no matter what. And I would never say anything with a... With a bad intention. With a bad intention. That was just a, a general observation. <laughs> Yeah. Well, and this goes back to what we were talking about in the beginning of the podcast was that, I guess you would call it that virus script of like, I'm hard to love or I'm unlovable. Because if I really get rid of that and I truly integrate the fact that I am, I know I'm lovable, right? Same thing you were saying, like, we are worthy just because we are. We are divine creatures that just can be so powerful, right? If I can pull out that script, then, and I feel it and I know it, then anything Valentina or anybody else close to me says isn't gonna be a threat because I already know, right? Just, my apartment is dirty. It doesn't mean I'm not lovable. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. It's one of the constructs of society is to look outside of ourselves for any sort of validation and meaning and purpose. And it has, it has nothing to do with anything outside of ourselves. I could have, I could make a list of a hundred things that I wanted and I could have every single, including appraisal and, and appreciation and love and get every single one of them. But if any one of them is off kilter a little bit, if tilts just a little bit away from me, then my foundation is going to be rocked because I'm not, it's not a true foundation. The foundation has to come from you inside your core inside that spirit and that connection of spirit to spirit are you you mentioned your son earlier and you've talked about him in class before um talking about he helps you see different perspectives because he has such a strong volition for how he carves out life um, and I think that you said he had ADHD. Mm-hmm. This Western world likes to label and demonize what they don't understand. And we're both strong believers of it's all neurodivergent, right? It's like yeah. brains that are just variations. Well, we have, yeah, we have this idea of what the ideal brain is supposed to be. And there is just no such thing. If you look at, for example, like Greta Thunberg, right? The fact that she is on the spectrum is what has given her so much power. So it does, different doesn't mean worse. And if we open up our mind to that, we have so much to learn from the variation in brains that are out there. They're just attuned to things that we are not attuned to. Like we are aware of what is directly in front of us and what we know in this dimension. We know nothing. And, and it's crazy. We do just label and stigmatize so much of what we don't understand. But I, I would like to... What has your son taught you? He's just, he's so cool. It's typically a human body isn't symmetrical. The right side's not going to be the same as the left side. The right shoulder is probably higher than the left. Your right side, if you're long, is stronger than, if you're right-handed, if you're right side dominant. Uh, your left hand is generally smaller than your right. Like we're, 
asymmetrical. And this isn't, um, this isn't based on any real study or anything, but one of the reasons I believe innately what that tells me is that the right side of my body can compensate for an existence or uh, uh, terrain that's different than the left side of my body, which means I've got two capacities. Both of them are important, and they have, they're working together. They can work together, but then sometimes some one of them is needed more than the other side. And with my son and the way his mind works and the way he is and his strengths and the things that might be more difficult for him, they're a teacher in a way that kind of could force, it forces me, and I hope it forces other people as well, to come outside of their comfort zone and see things in a different way. Well, this is how you could do a math problem. Or maybe he doesn't really understand the way he doesn't really like math like math is not his thing it's not his his he doesn't it doesn't make him feel good it's really hard it's difficult for him and he has to work really hard at it but you could ask him any type of salamander there is and he's going to name all of them you could ask him all the different types of chameleon you could show him a picture of some leaf and he would know what kind of tree it came from his interests wow. yeah he, he doesn't he's not a neurotypical right but thank goodness, because his specialty, I listened to a podcast that talked about this. I don't know if it was a TED Talks. It might have been a TED Talks. And this guy was, he's an he's a Olympic diver. And when he was young, he had ADHD. And his parents, one parent would work during the day and the other would work at night because he, this kid, even when he was a baby, even this adult, but when he was a baby, wouldn't sleep. So they would build him obstacle courses in their living room and he would just run laps in their living room and he mm, was they would goosebumps. they would do different things they thought outside the box to create a life that was okay for him instead of trying to fit them into their box hmm. and he created this whole I, I don't i don't remember exactly what it was but in his theme of his podcast or the theme of his talk was your weakness is your superpower right so let's say that a neurotypical looks at my son and they're like, oh, he's obsessed with, he knows every single Pokemon and knows exactly where every single Pokemon lives. Like they have different islands or, or <laughs> continents or something. And he knows what will live there and he knows everything about it. And he knows everything about all the chameleons and he knows all these things. And that might be off-putting to someone who wants to fit him, fit him in a box that they're comfortable with, but he's, that's not who he is. And who am I to, say that that's who she should be mm -hmm. and that's been one of the things that he's really taught me a lot a lot as because you know he, he came into my life when he was five and I was you know it was the first time I'd ever been a stepmother a mother so it was all of a sudden I had someone who is in my life as a child who wasn't who I was as a child and so it it really challenged me to to give him space to be himself mm -hmm. and I'm still working on it. It's still just the other day. Like the, what I was, the example I gave earlier about how I, in my trigger reacted to him not being okay with what we were doing and how he wanted it to be better than what it was. But it's not, that's my perspective. That's my ego structure. That doesn't necessarily mean that that's his belief. That's just his observation. Mm -hmm. And, and it triggered me because I wanted him to fit into what I wanted him to be. And he's pushing those limits for me, and it's expanding my consciousness. This reminds me, are you familiar with Dr. Shafali? 
No. You would love Dr. Shafali. She, uh, her teaching is called Conscious Parenting. Mm. And I think that's the name of her book. And she always talks about this, how I, not exactly in these words, but that parents have taken it upon themselves to believe that it is their job to domesticate children and kind of mold them to their ideas. When in reality, children are, we're supposed to learn from them. Mm -hmm. They have so much to teach us. And they come here with their own journey. And their spirit knows what it's here for. And in this practice of conscious parenting, it is all about taking responsibility for your own things so that you can create enough space for that path that the child is here to follow to really unfold. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I agree with that. Uh, I don't remember what I was watching. Maybe it was a comedian or something. And they were talking about if you think parenting is, it's, it's a consulting. If you think it's a controlling, you're wrong. It's, it's consulting. I want to mm-hmm. find this. My mom always sends us, DMs us things on Instagram. I, I think she spends so much time. She needs to do pretty mental DMing us things on Instagram. Mm-hmm. So I want to pull up this thing she sent us. Um, about what? About parenting. Because she's, so that's something that she's been really open to us because, so she raised us to be really strong. And then there was a point at which I think she was like, oh, shoot, like, they are so strong. (laughs) What have I done? What have I done? (laughs) Like, they are questioning everything. Everything. (laughs) I mean, I remember literally, and this is just, I just, I can't remember how old I was, but my mom was trying to get me to do something or my dad. And I just truly looked at them and I was like, no one is the boss of me. No one. Yeah. <laughs> who, who says these rules are the rules that must be followed? Mm-hmm. And then I think they were probably like, oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> right. Yeah. So there was definitely a learning curve for all of us where you can teach a child all of this. You know, and if you really want to embody that type of parenting style, it's really powerful. But there will come a point at which that's really going to be embodied. And all of the conditioning that they had felt safe with is going to be called into question. And that was especially strong with my parents because we immigrated from Colombia. So it was it was not even just questioning. It was questioning a whole culture in a sense because we came to the U.S. and it was like, oh, you're telling me this but uh, that's not what I see at school and you've also told me that I need to that all of my feelings are valid so (laughs) (laughs) So I am paying attention (laughs) so I'm paying attention to all of my this is what she sent us she said um, from this account called Mindful Mamas on IG um, your children don't belong to you you're on borrowed time with them your mission should you choose to accept it is to build a better human being not to build a mini version of you and all your deflated hopes and dreams. Help them become the best them, not the best you. Good job, mom. I know. Yeah, she's really embraced. She's really stepped up. Honestly, <laughs> I think that that you will become the best you, right? Because when you're able to open up that space, it's when you've been able to look at your triggers. Like everyone around you, I think whenever you have a trigger, I think it's such a beautiful moment to be able to be like, ooh, the universe wants me to expand. The other day we got in a 
me and Paula are always, we, we're each other's mirrors, like mm-hmm. each other's shadow sides, yeah. because we're so close yeah. that we reveal everything that needs to be seen to each other. And then we're both on this spiritual journey too. So sometimes it just feels like a psychedelic journey. Like I'm just like everything is just happening so fast and it's like, oh man, I don't know if I was ready to see that, but here it is and we have to embrace it. But we got in a pretty intense argument the other day and I remember I got home and in the past when I was more blind to this, I probably would have been like, why is she doing that to me? And why is she being so mean? But I got home and I was like, damn, that was beautiful. My journey to self-love is like really, really growing. That she's just really like that moment, whatever that was, whoever us, we created, I created that, whatever. Like I'm really seeing something. And I felt so just this feeling of liberation because I feel like I asked the universe to help me step up in self-love and it's, it's showing it. Yeah, it's the same. And sometimes it's super uncomfortable. I think we reached a point in the conversation where I was just like, I can't even think anymore. (laughs) Any energy that could have been kicked up has been kicked up. And it is probably time for us to go to our respective households and sit with it. (laughs) Yeah. But we also wanted to talk to you about yoga Mm. and your journey in yoga and maybe the ways in which you feel that the practice of yoga has most greatly impacted your life. So there's this teacher, Christina Sell. She's one of my teachers, Christina Sell. So Christina Sell says that at the first, you know, one, this is at this workshop I did with her and, and Darren Rhodes in Tucson. She said the zero to five years of yoga, you have these big explosions, these profound lessons, these, these learnings, and it's just like fireworks going off, da, 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 just lesson, 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 learning, learning, opening, opening, opening. And then five to 10 years, you get like eh, one a year, two a year. And then 10 to 20 years, you get like one every five years. And, and I found that to be accurate for me. The first five years of practice, it was about mastering different asanas, uh, postures, um, different poses. And then it became really kind of abruptly not about that at all. Because that's what most people think it is, right? Right. The general public, when we think about yoga, it's, oh, I want to, you know, do a handstand. I want to be able to do this. I want to be able to do that. We're a society of doing. We're a society of achieving. We're a society of checking out boxes. Mm-hmm. And the first zero to five years of yoga, it was, I watched layers on layers on layers of myself, uh, conditionings, um, hidings fall away. And then, and that was beautiful. And I did these postures and I got really quote unquote good at yoga. And then it, it just, it just all of a sudden I was, I don't want to do all that stuff anymore. I don't want to go for my biggest backbend. I don't want to try to get Pinchamayarasana on, on point where I'm straight up and down. I don't, I don't, that doesn't matter. That's not where the, the work is for me. That, that feeds what I don't want to feed. That feeds the ego for me and not what's underneath the ego, what's behind the ego, what's my spirit. So when I, changed my my objective I changed it to 
getting as confrontational as possible in my poses, which wasn't going for maybe handstand because that's not really working towards handstand isn't confrontational in a way of it heats me up from the inside out and makes me really agitated and annoyed. It's just hard. Mm -hmm. It's like doing a handstand would be like learning how to play a drum or something. It's not, it's, it's not that I don't have a beat inside of me. It's not that I don't have it. It would just be difficult, but to sit in a warrior two and do the work of all the work of a warrior two and sit in it and get agitated and then see how I get agitated, how I bump up against that wall of agitation or I bump up against that wall of confrontation. That's the kind of work that I started going for. It was great. For a long time, I've, I've always been drawn to yoga. I think I started doing yoga before I knew what yoga was. I would just wake up when I was in middle school and sit in my room and do stretches. I didn't, mm-hmm. I didn't know that there was a yoga thing. Mm-hmm. And, and then we got into meditation, which was without the yoga. So it was like just sitting still. So then I, there was always this curiosity about what, and I think I'm, I'm starting to understand it now. You can use these poses because your body is going to be uncomfortable at times. So you can use these poses to notice the voice coming up and saying, I am uncomfortable and allowing it to be there and continuing to stay in the pose and not reacting from it or not trying to overcome it or trying to appease it. Yeah, I mean, or seeing where you take your mind to distract yourself away from it. Like, oh, this teacher is stupid. This song is stupid. <laughs> this mat is not sticky enough, right? Those are all distractions to, yeah. to not see what's really coming up, what's really trying to come to the surface. And so that zero to five years idea by Christina Sells, like one of the reasons that is true is because we do have all this Everything we've ever experienced is in our body. It's in our muscles. It's written. Everything we've ever experienced has been written into our biology. That's so true. So when we lengthen and we strengthen and we move and we get into these nitty gritty pieces in the body and we start to release this latent trauma right through whatever it is, sweat, tears, agitation, um, whatever, that's those are those really profound in your face experiences those that's what gets people like hooked on yoga but then once all those not all of them because I don't know that that's even possible but once a lot of those big ones that have that were close to the surface those big experiences those big traumas that are that are hidden in the body close easily accessible once those are kind of dismissed and allowed to leave the body then that's when it takes the sitting with it, sitting in a posture and, and like you were just saying, like s- seeing it, seeing this, witnessing, witnessing the, the experience that you're having, witnessing yourself, mirroring yourself. And then can you be strong enough to embrace it and, and love it for whatever it is? Or think of, oh, this music sucks. This teacher sucks. I'm too sweaty. I need a towel. I need some water. I don't want to do this. I wish this class was harder. Whatever. Mm -hmm. Does that chatter start or do you sit with it and stay in? Mm -hmm. Lean in. Spiritual egos has been coming up for me a lot in the past two weeks, ever since we 
So we started listening and we we're probably going to talk about Shaman Durek in every episode now, but we started listening. I swear, to, Shaman Durek, you are not our guru. <laughs> but he, so it's well, this guy that we, this shaman that we just discovered, and he always talks about. He goes, he goes. I one thing that he just cannot stand is when people make him their guru. He's like, don't make me pull my pants down and shit in front of you right now. <laughs> like when you are missing the whole picture when you put me on a shrine. I am here to show you that you are your god. I am not your God. And but you're and, just and a in, teacher. Yeah. <laughs> in, one of, <laughs> in one of his podcasts, I think this is where I heard it, he was talking about, I mean, he died. Like, he was actually pronounced dead for four minutes. So he's really been to the other side. And so he just does not give a shit anymore. And so he talks about being in certain spiritual communities and just a lot of spiritual ego. And he's like, oh, my God, get over it. <laughs> like, we were just here to spread a message. This is not about you. And and since I started following his teachings, I've noticed ego coming up and wanting to be like, ooh, I'm going to be, like, the best channeler. Or I'm going to be, you know, the this or that. And then I'm like, this is the same thing. <laughs> this is the same thing that ego does. But now it's using spirituality to attach to something. And it it's so sneaky, whether it's in yoga communities or meditate. I'm going to be the best meditator. You know, I'm, I'm going to win at meditation, right? Yeah, I, I think that it's a real thing. It's there's this there's a tendency for everyone to make it about themselves and it has nothing to do with ourselves. Like if someone tells me, and I'd listen, I like it. I like hearing that was a great class. I like when teachers, students come up and say, you know, this really meant something to me. It, it helps fuel the ego side of me. But in reality, I didn't do anything. I didn't do anything. I didn't do anything. I just, put together this string of poses and you did them and you did the work. I had my therapist uh, that I, I had to stop seeing uh, the one that was so intense in, in Denver. This is actually one of the reasons I came up against some confrontation, so I ran away. Uh, she, <laughs> she told me that I had, and I'm not, I don't know, I, have, I hesitate to say this because I don't know what ego structures are listening to this podcast, right? But she told me that I'd outgrown yoga and that now my job was to teach people to find God in themselves. Mm. And I had a lot of resistance to it because I have a lot of resistance to the whole guru culture. Mm. I think that my job is to find God in myself and to believe that I am God and God is me. And... I think that I, as I'm going through this journey and I'm learning step by step closer, closer to capital S self, I can share how I got there. I think that's one of my gifts. I think one of my gifts is, is how I do the work on myself and how I can turn that into something that someone else, I can almost break it down for someone else to go through that work if they want to. So, so like, say if I tell you to just love yourself, right? Oh, just love yourself. Everybody just love yourself. Everyone take a big breath in, love yourself. That's great in theory, but how? And I think that one of the things that I've, I've been 
lucky enough to understand is my process of the how and sharing that process of the how. It doesn't mean that it has, if you do it or do the how or not, or you get there or not, it has nothing to do with me. You're the one who has to show up. I'm not, Christina Sells also says, no one can do the work for you, but you can't do the work alone either, right? We need each other. You need mirrors. You need people to rub up against. You need people to, every once in a while, give you the little hows of how-tos. Um, I'm actually, I, I started going to hypnotherapy, um, a couple years ago with a hypnotherapist who was phenomenal. He actually left his body after we'd worked together for like eight months, which was so tragic. He died after eight months. Mm-hmm. Um, but there were some things that I just wanted to fix without figuring out how to fix them. I just wanted them fixed. Mm-hmm. And one of them is love. One of them was uh, validation of myself because I kept looking outside of myself for that. And I, after going to about five sessions with him and we fixed these different things, I actually stopped one because he left his body, but I didn't seek out another one so much because what I learned is that I didn't, I could fix these problems. I could fix not loving myself. I could fix needing validation, but I didn't know how I'd fixed it. So it meant I couldn't share it with anyone. I couldn't share my process of the learning and my process of the work with anyone, so I couldn't help anyone. So there wasn't, I wasn't, I wasn't actually doing the work. It was like looking at the back of the textbooks for the answer and filling in the answer and not actually doing not the work of So was it like, was it that you felt he was guiding you there too quickly? No, no. Hypnotherapy, which I'm actually studying to become a hypnotherapist, even though, because not everyone wants to do the work. Right. And I understand that there are some things that I don't think, I mean, who, if you don't do the work of figuring out why you are the way you are or your triggers, or you don't do the work of coming up and crashing into yourself, but you can still fix it, then it's fine. Right? Mm-hmm. I don't, so it's almost hypnotherapy. What it felt like is it's almost like he would pull back the layers, pull back all the triggers, all the stuff I was wearing around and carrying around with me and pressing the reset button. And then all the triggers kind of melted away. Well, and just so you know, I'm, I am a hypnotherapist. Are so, you? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's so cool. Yeah, I didn't want to start this whole conversation. And then you'd be like, why didn't she say anything? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I'm, I'm super interested in the way that you experienced it. Yeah. I'm super interested because that's actually something I've been thinking She's about. She's getting interested in wanting to get trained in it too now. <gasps> mm-hmm. Yeah. Because of all of these programs that have been given to us since the moment we were born. I, I feel like a lot of what the is causing depression and causing any kind of discord is because our subconscious, it all stems from our subconscious. In the first about seven years of our life, and even probably even a little beyond that, but especially in those first few years, we start creating our worldview. And the problem is that our brain is so young. It's, it's not even finished forming until we're about 25 and I mean our brain can continue to evolve and stuff but at least for all the structures to really be there that's when we're about 25 when we're in that age you know around up to seven and even like a few years after that we're very egocentric meaning that we think everything is about us and because of us and 
we are causing it because we can't see beyond ourselves, right? So when adults treat us a certain way, when the world reacts to us in a certain way, we don't have the capacity to say, oh, they're going through something. This isn't about me. Right. Immediately it's, oh, I, I'm bad. Oh, mom is crying. I, I must not be doing a good enough. I don't know how to make people happy. And so we come up with these scripts at a very young age where it's, I am hard to love. I, I am easy to walk away from. These scripts that we form in a very childhood mind. And the issue is that those are the scripts that continue to inform the way through which we move through the world for the rest of our life. So we're walking around with the script that a seven-year-old came up with. And at least in my work with hypnotherapy, and I've been, I've been on the, I've sat with somebody else doing hypnotherapy on me as well as I've done it to other people, has been to go back to that and be like, what was the belief that was formed? Mm-hmm. And what do we need to do to change that? Mm-hmm. Did we completely cut off your train of thought? <laughs> no, no, I, it's true. No, I, I mean, maybe. <laughs> I guess back to the, that maybe I could talk back to the, that I've outgrown yoga. I'd like to say too that yeah. I don't, it's not yoga. My, my, my therapist didn't know she, she doesn't practice yoga. It's not, she wasn't speaking. She was speaking in her version of what yoga was when she said that. Like she didn't understand it fully. Well, it's just her, her ego structure around what yoga is, which might be the workout. Right. Yeah. Um, who knows? doesn't matter. That's just her interpretation of what, our re- the realization of our session was and uh but it's not I don't think it, I don't think anyone can outgrow yoga I don't think that that's possible because it's it's never ending mm-hmm. it's a meditation practice right yeah that's being never- nice to someone is practicing yoga so it's not you know being eating drinking water on purpose is practicing yoga breathing is I mean there's no there's no outgrowing yoga mm-hmm. can you speak more to that what yoga yeah well yoga how that is practicing yoga off the mat I think sometimes our listeners and and people and sometimes I've even wondered right when we're told like remember to practice yoga off the mat Uh, and we're like what am I supposed to do downward dog in the supermarket what do you mean (laughs) goddess while you're reading a magazine at line whole foods (laughs) um no it's so here's an example (laughs) so Ram Dass when his dad was sick Ron Das went to take care of him. And every morning he would get him up. I'm just using, I don't remember his exact words, but every morning he'd get up and he would feed him, bathe him, take him on a walk, bring him back, feed him. He had the same exact schedule every day while he took care of his ailing father. And some days it was okay. Some days he would be resentful of his father. Some days he would be anxious to go do something else. Some days he would be angry. And, and so he started keeping a journal. And he started noticing, okay, today, today is a good day. Today I found joy in bathing my father and feeding him and sharing a strawberry with him. Today I wanted to shave his head. I don't know, whatever he would say, right? And... That's practicing yoga off the mat. That's deciding to not be, for that example, not, not deciding the permanence of the moment you're in. 
not allowing the sensation of this moment be the tell of how every moment following is going to be. Not saying, okay, I've had a shitty day today. Can I cuss? Mm -hmm. Okay. I've had a shitty day today taking care of my father. That means every time I get up in the morning and I take care of my father, it's going to be just like this. My life is over. I hate my life. Mm. Noticing life's impermanence is one of the practices of yoga off the mat. Here's another example. Let's say that my knee is bothering me or I'm really tired or I'm hungry or I'm dehydrated. Maybe I don't go into my fullest expression of warrior two. I practice kindness on myself and compassion or softness. And then to take that off my mat is my son had a really hard day at school or maybe he's not feeling so well so he's irritable and being soft around that because I showed it to myself. I practiced that on myself. Hmm. Or... This is really scary. Crow pose is really scary. I, I don't, I'm going to fall forward. I can't do this. I can't. I can't. I'm too scared. I'm just going to like sit here and pretend that I need some water. Or I'm just going to look around the room and pretend I don't know what the teacher is talking about. Or I'm going to step up. I'm going to do my crow pose and I'm going to see how it felt to be scared and confront fear. And then... And then off my mat, I sit in a chair across from two sisters on a really official (laughs) podcast. And it's okay because I know it's okay because I practiced confronting fear on my mat. That's to me one of the one of the ways to practice yoga off the mat. But there's it just goes. It's just infinite. It's infinite. That's why that's when she said you outgrow yoga. That was her definition of yoga. But the practice of yoga is infinite. Because it's, it turns into everything. There are, there are monks that sweep the ground in front of their feet so that they don't step on bugs because mm. of the consciousness of existence and sentient beings. It's not, there's, there's layers and layers and layers. You can go as deep as you want in practicing off the mat. It can be being strong enough to spend actual true five minutes by yourself without any stimulation. It can be noticing how long you're on your phone because you notice you've you're with yourself enough that you notice things that is practicing off your mat conscious awareness and 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 the recognition of impermanence that answers it (laughs) very well but that's also just my experience it doesn't mean that's there's a thousand experiences there's you could ask someone else they'd have a totally different answer for what yoga is off the mat yeah totally yeah absolutely well, and, and one thing I wanted to to make sure I, I said, just it feels very important that I say it in regards to what came up for me when you were telling me about what your therapist told you that, oh, you've outgrown yoga. This is what you should do now. That like n- a therapist should never do that. No one can tell anyone else what is right for them that was the that was the like second to last session we had yeah yeah that because of because of that that's yeah that's when they start their own ego starts well so (laughs) then it then it does the whole am i triggered by her saying this because it's something and so then it's (laughs) It's like it's a dance (laughs) it's a total dance i had a i had what does this really mean (laughs) so yeah so it was yeah i i did I, I put in another session, but it was it was very clear that either I wasn't ready to hear what she had to say or what she had to say wasn't 
Resonated. what I needed. Yeah. It was your instinct was just saying this isn't right anymore. And sometimes that's just all we can do. I mean, I'm all about running up against a wall and trying to scratch my way through. I'm all about it. I like I one of the reasons I haven't gone really to therapy since her is because I <laughs> I haven't really found anything that's like rough enough that's carves in and it goes deep enough, mm-hmm. right? I don't Yeah. They're not showing you enough of yeah. the mirror that you need to see. It's not aggressive enough, I yeah. guess. Mm-hmm. Beyond, beyond get in there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> beyond I'm be- ready to get enlightened. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this kind of brings up we saw a post that you did for twenty twenty. Yeah. Yeah. Talking about awakening. Yeah. That aligned heavily with both where of we're us, at. where we're at. So let's talk about awakening. Yeah. So I guess it's just, it's just, this is just my, this is just part of my history. When my, when my teacher and I split ways or, uh, yeah, I guess that's, we just, we just faded out, we'll say. Um, I was terrified. I was terrified to not have a teacher tell me what I was supposed to do next. Mm-mm. I was terrified in a teacher not being the mirror back to me to tell me I was doing a good job or this is what we're going to do next or this is who we're going to learn from next or this is what you're going to study. This is what's important. It was, it was terrifying. And I had in meditation just this realization, whatever you want to call it, a voice or the universe talking to me. And it, I heard and experienced that I am my greatest teacher. I am my great. That's literally the thing that came to me was you are your greatest teacher. And it's in alignment with everything I believe. It was just such a visceral experience to, to hear it so clearly. So to awaken is, is to allow that to be true and not, not look outside of myself. Instead, to truly listen to myself to hear inside of me what needs to be nurtured. The other day I took a, a yin class. There's this phenomenal teacher, uh, uh, yin yoga teacher, Douglas Johnson. And I took his class and he's so good at holding space and, and, and speaking uh, to the history of yoga. And I set myself as a yin class, which means that it's the passive, it's the, passive stretching instead of like a fight. So yang is, or yang is the fiery. It's what we practice at Highland Yoga. And then yin is more the restorative, the longer holds, the sweeter supported poses. And a lot of people don't do it because it's super confrontational. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, I was in the second pose he put us in. And all of a sudden, have you ever cried, but then it's not like your face scrunches up, just just like the flood of tears it just, down starts oh, yeah. out of nowhere. Oh, just right. like gone. And it's yeah. you can't, it's not, it's not like you're, it's just there, right? Yeah. And that's how this was. I was in the pose and I just started just, just an outpour of tears. And I realized that I needed, my body was just so thankful that I was being soft with it. Mm soft with it instead of this fiery, 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 go, 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 go. And that's something that I wouldn't have heard or experienced if I wasn't open to awakening, opening to my inner wisdom, right? Opening to 
taking a moment to listen to myself and not only listen to myself, but listen to all of my teachers around me. My child is my teacher. You are my teachers. You know, I see you guys in class and (laughs) I see you. And if I'm God and you're God, then isn't it my job to witness you? How am I going to, if I don't witness you, how am I honoring myself? And if I don't witness you, how am I honoring you? And to awaken to that existence of you will help me awaken myself and vice versa. Dr. Maya Angelou says, I come as one and I stand as 10,000. And she's talking about a trillion different things in that statement. But my, how it resonates with me is we have, and I'm sure you guys have heard this in class, we have thousands and thousands and thousands of years of, of wisdom inside our inside our DNA, mm. right? We can literally turn off pieces of our genetics and turn on other pieces of our genetics by our habits and choices and food choices and even mental stimulation, right? So we've got all this wisdom inside of us that's deeper than any book I could possibly read. There's more inside of me in one cell in my body of wisdom than there is in a library of books. It's older than writing it's older than script it's older than than human what if i could tap into that what if i could get still enough where it can yell out at me and tell me i don't know yeah well that resonates so deeply Um, right now yeah i mean all we can do is be still Mm -hmm. we just want to be still right now (laughs) yeah i know yeah wow we didn't even get into oprah I mean, that's it. That's the message Mm -hmm. in this world of go, 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 go. Well, we're really, in so many ways, humanity is running from itself. Yeah. Looking at, looking to something. It's just, I don't, I don't know why. I don't know why we all, all of us, I don't think, I don't know, I don't know who's excluded from this. I don't, but to, to see, to not look outside of ourselves uh, what's that guy's name that did the, the show? He'd go into the wild by himself. He'd get dropped by a helicopter and he'd survive for like two weeks and film himself bare something. Know. I don't know. So there's this guy who goes out into the woods. He's filmed. He's on TV shows. Uh, and he films himself. And in an interview, they asked him, what's the hardest part of being alone for two weeks? And his response was along the lines of, there's no one there reflecting me back to me. So when I say something and you have a reaction, right? You have either an approval with a smile or right now you're both looking at me with compassion and and like you're really intently listening. So you're giving me supportive feedback to keep talking, right? When you're by yourself, you don't have that. So we're, we are in the program of looking outside of ourselves for what we want, but it's not outside of ourselves. Because it's never going to be enough. And it, and it is under the weather. The wind could change. And if everything is placed outside of yourself, then, then that will jeopardize everything that you set your foundation on. That's actually something I tell my clients. That, you know, if we think of ourselves as, as trees, what are we rooting to? And if, if we're rooting to the whims 
and opinions of other people, that is a very unstable foundation. You cannot, that can change tomorrow. So no wonder you're anxious because <laughs> somewhere in your mind, you know, right? that, that is yeah. not solid ground. Yeah. So yeah, it's never going to be enough versus when we start looking inside and awaken, literally awakening to, to is what's we have this gold mine inside of us. Yeah. That supply is never ending. Mm-mm. It's infinite. And we do everything to run from it. The ego does. I just, but like, why? Why? It's not, it, it's not easier. I think it's because the ego doesn't want to die. I don't think the ego is supposed to die. I think the ego is what's rooting us here in this physical world. Right. So I think that's why, because this is my take on it. Like, spirit knows that it's infinite. And when we slow down enough, that's what we start getting in touch with. And it knows it. But ego is just here for us in this lifetime. And I think, right? Doggy agrees. Yeah, spirit is infinite. Ego knows it's not. It knows that it's, it's time will come to an end. I believe this anyways when this incarnation is over. So it's doing everything it can to ensure its survival. It's scared of, of that, right? I think... That's been my experience. That is why I try so hard to hold on to anything. That actually, I've never thought about that, but that actually makes sense. That hits home for sure. Well, I am <laughs> honored that I said something that you had never thought about because I, you are so wise. No, oh my. So thank you. Thanks. I know. Yeah. Well, before we we close out, we always like to ask everyone on our podcast what mental health is for them what it means for them oh i i actually practiced <laughs> but, but then i forgot because <laughs> um, I, I i know that you do that and i actually had to i'm sure did valentina tell you paula how i had to stop i listened to so many of your podcasts in a row that i like dreamed about <laughs> you that. she did tell me <laughs> so i had to stop I listening like, to amazing. it <laughs> yeah. um and i can't remember what my prepared answer was I think mental health is being able to take the next step or I, mental health is understanding that we're each strong enough to just at least take the very next step. And that could be a breath. I think that's mental health. Mm-hmm. It doesn't have to look like anyone else. It doesn't have to be anyone else's experience. It doesn't have to be shared. It doesn't have to fit into a mold or a definition that someone else invented. It just has to be knowing that I'm strong enough and that this creation that I am is strong enough to, I got the next step. I can do that and then see where I am. Amen to that. Mm -hmm. I love that. Well, I don't want to finish this podcast because I literally (laughs) could just keep talking to you. Um, but we must. We have reached the time. <laughs> Thank and you so some. much for yeah. joining us and yeah. being so open as you always are and showing up as your full self. Thank you. Thanks for saying that. Mm-hmm. I had this is great. Thank you for doing this. Thanks for making this podcast. It's important. Thank you. Thank you. Um, yeah. Okay, you guys. So catch yeah. us every other Monday, 8 a.m. EST. And be kind to yourselves. 
Bye. Peace out.